Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Sometimes the people with the most shit have to shut up and let other people talk shit about them. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, this is the last opening segment. We're recording in Costa Rica. What's the biggest thing that's happened to you since we recorded the last one? <laughs> I took a sip of bourbon. <laughs> that was nice. We're, you're, you're revealing how the sausage is made, Tamler. <laughs> Very Bad Wizards, behind the curtain. <laughs> we... We needed to record two intro segments at the same time. So uh, so here we are, right yeah. across from each other once again. Yeah, this doesn't happen that often, but it seems to be happening more frequently than it used <laughs> it's to. True. It's true. The second time in what? I guess it's been eight months. Jesus Christ, that was a long time. That, yeah, that, that, was that, a went, time. that went fast. All right, David, we're interrupting our normal opening segment to bring you a special report, a live report. It's not live and it's not even coming out anywhere near when this incident happened, but... What's the know, opposite of breaking news? It's, not, it's definitely not breaking news. It might be fading news, although who knows? But all I know is that we got a ton of listeners just demanding that we at least say something about what happened at the Oscars Sunday night. This will be now two Sundays ago for those who are listening right now. But uh, it was the Oscars, and I think a lot of people wanted to know, specifically my opinion, because they know I have a personal connection to you know, what went down, rather than just say what happened, and everybody knows what happened. I thought maybe I'd just play a clip, you know, just to remind everybody, and then we can talk about it. Yeah. Some, oh my God. Uh, actually, you know what? Let me just show you what the seat fillers do. Okay, here's a seat filler. Can we get you up, honey? You, you want to go to the bathroom? Okay. Let's just get you. Thank you, seat fillers. Love them. Jesse, I loved you in Power of the Dog. Uh. All right, so if you live on the moon or something and you don't know uh, what we're referring to, uh, that was Amy Schumer calling, <laughs> of all people, Kirsten Dunst, a seat filler. <laughs> and just the disrespect of that, the disregard. I honestly, like, I was, I didn't see this the night of the broadcast, but I, when I heard about it, I was so furious. I understood what all the fuss was about. And I get it. Comedians make jokes. It's a roast <laughs> environment. That comes with the territory of being famous. But all I have to say to, to Amy Schumer is... Keep 
my wife's name out your fucking mouth! Tamler, it's not really what people wanted us to talk about. Oh, it's not? You're very dedicated, I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> oh, there was the other thing, too, is that? The... Yeah, so, uh, so you have to be living under a rock to not know this for real. Um, <laughs> that Chris Rock got, got bitch slapped. I, I want to ask you, because everybody was like, oh, what would Tamler say about this because of your shit on honor and all blah, blah, blah. But I was like, here's my, like, I just want to offer my prediction. Yeah. I feel like uh, you, like me, even maybe more than me, but probably around the same, hold comedy in the highest regard. And that would trump nearly any feelings you might have on what to do if someone insults a loved one. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And if it weren't for a bunch of other things also, that would probably be enough to get me to <laughs> not think, yeah, fuck yeah, Will Smith just slapped <laughs> uh, honor culture because you're defending your wife's honor. It's like, what do you people think that honor is? Like, if you think it's that, like, I don't think you get it. But so, yeah, you're right. That among a lot of other things. I, right. like, I was a little chagrined to see people that would predict it. I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, Will Smith had to do that you don't understand because uh, we live in a well, dignity culture you think that like will smith didn't have to just walk on stage and slap a comedian who uh, <laughs> had his fucking hands behind his back you had to like he had to do that for it just was just smiling thinking maybe will smith was gonna like be funny yeah you know uh, just like just <laughs> sucker slap. Yeah, um, it was a sucker slap. Yeah. For those people who think that a slap is nothing, you know, there are these slap contests. Have you seen these slap contests that that people they're really <laughs> no. dumb? But um, but if you if you hit with the base of your the palm of your hand, you fuck somebody up, <laughs> and that that was a hit with force. Like that was. And, I, I don't know that I could have stayed as cool as Chris Rock stayed. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like people are appreciating that, you know, because um, yeah. you could take it the yep. other way that like a slap is so disrespectful and yeah. so he should have gone after him in the crowd or oh, something God. like yeah. that. And like, yeah. no, like I yeah. think he handled it. It's a t really tough situation to be in, but I think he handled it like about as well as you could possibly. As well as you could. And yeah. in fact, like it, his his smile, I think. You know, may, maybe projecting a little bit, but I think maybe understanding Chris Rock a little bit, like his smile, basically was like, "Oh shit, I won this!" <laughs> like he, yeah. he, to have somebody react that strongly to your joke. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure he was not happy, but I mean, it's to be fair to Will Smith, and this is the only thing I'll say, like remotely sympathetic. But like, it wasn't a very funny joke, and one of the things right. that we've also talked about is if you're gonna. Yeah say something offensive then it should be funny in this yeah. case it wasn't funny but it also wasn't that offensive like first of all he yeah. may not have known she had alopecia and even if he did like you know people are making it like like this was like a cancer joke you know mm -hmm. i know that alopecia is a condition it's a medical condition but right like but also, Havana guess syndrome what? and long covid <laughs> Well, no, I also no, have it's alopecia. A real condition. I, I also have alopecia because that's just the word for losing yeah. your hair. But <laughs> it is different socially for a it's, man to lose his hair. And a, you know, absolutely. A when I saw, like I wasn't watching live because why, why would I? Yeah. But I, when I saw pretty soon afterwards, like as soon as people posted the clip, 
I had the same response, like emotional response that I had when I was watching what I was watching live years ago, which is when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it was just like what surreal. Yeah. It was like, what, what happened? Like you saw someone just kind of lose it. And, yeah. and Will Smith just, just weirdly lost it. Like, what does it take to go on to that stage in your fucking suit in front of like all those people in front of the world and think that that that's like in any way an appropriate response to it, a joke as as offensive as it might be when you are about to win best actor for the when first time in, in your career and like that's going to be a big thing no it's crazy and 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 it also it like it just has the optics of a bitch move like even yeah, when you really just does. watch it it just looks yeah. like a bitch move like especially first, when she's laughing at first and yeah exactly like yeah. it was like oh shit I'm like uh, <laughs> she wants me to go like pick up like like a carton of eggs and some milk so now I gotta drag my ass out of the car you know like that's how it seemed like it was and then he kind of talked himself into like being yeah. upset then there's all, all this other stuff about like you know what's he really mad about here right yeah there was a bunch of discussion about uh, about like their open marriage which I thought was just a stupid place to take it yeah but, I don't think I don't know to, like I it wouldn't surprise me if that was involved somehow, but uh, I also don't think like you need it. So here's the funny thing is that I was at a conference while this happened and that uh, the night of the Oscars, which just seemed like a train wreck in every way. So I just didn't watch it. But also I had to get up at 5 a.m. because I was at I was going on a hike. So I was invited for a conference on honor at the West Point Military Academy. And there were people from all the different military academies gathering together. And for some reason, they invited me and one other guy who was a civilian. We were the only civilians in this whole conference. And so I had to wake up the next morning and I wake up, first of all, I have like 50 texts and then like <laughs> 20 plus notifications on Twitter. <clears throat> and I just get the barest sense of like what happened <laughs> before I have to go on this hike in the fucking freezing cold because it's upstate New York, uh, uh. as you would know. Uh, it was very cold there on uh this past yes. Monday. Yes, and, it was. <laughs> and uh, like I'm hearing about it and some of the other like cadets had heard about it, but no, you know, no, everyone was just like, we were all getting up. And then what was funny is at this conference on honor, nobody was talking about it except to make fun of it. And when it got yeah. to my panel, I, I made a joke about it. But like, other than that, nobody was talking about it. And that's what makes me I, not upset. I get it. But, like, the fact that people thought, oh, I'm going to be on the side of Will Smith here or on the <laughs> side, or, like, like implying that, like, if you're in honor culture, like, what Will Smith did was, like, you, you know, you have to defend it. No. Right. Like, that's, right. like, that's so not the case. And I don't think anybody from a serious honor culture views this as anything but... Um, you know, just a, like a, like celebrities get it being all fucked up for who, you know, for whatever reason, who knows, yeah. and acting out. Plus, I, I don't want to normalize slapping comedians for hurtful jokes because it's just gonna, yeah, no, it's just gonna ruin the industry. <laughs> Yeah, these it, are not these are not these are not men of war. These are not people who are. No. are uh, <laughs> they got into comedy because they were getting bullied and, and just thought, exactly. all right, this is the way I'm going to disarm the bullies. You know? Yeah, it was just disappointing to see. And I think his, you know, his his acceptance speech was bullshit. Like I'm a vessel oh, of love. I didn't like, have the heart just, to even look at no, that. But he's it like was terrible comparing was ter himself to Richard Williams. Like. <laughs> 
I raising his family. Like five yeah. kids in Compton. Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then he apologized on Instagram, which was fine. But like, you know, yeah. you want to know that he went up. Talk about honor. What What is required of him now is to meet Chris Rock in person and tell him. Absolutely. You know? like, and, and you know who we haven't really heard from is Chris Rock. So I'm kind of yeah. interested in that. Like, yeah, I know. It's kind of I kind of like like that he hasn't said anything it's it's intriguing to me like i think it's probably he knows how embarrassed will smith is because you you would be like right after it happened like you would just be like fuck i lost my cool and there's something about him being silent on the matter that that uh is cold you know heaping coals on on will smith's head i think yeah that's true like he's just if he he's not even <laughs> dignifying it but i think what he's probably doing is <clears throat> this is this is so good for my like. <laughs> oh yeah, May June comedy tour. That Even he's doing. right after where he said all he said was like Will Smith just slapped the fuck out of here. But he was in a bit of shock there too, which yeah, I can, he like, was. totally understandably. But yeah, I think he's gonna he can do something good with that. I think part of the problem with him lately is that he's just hasn't been as funny as you sort yeah. of expect Chris Rock to be. So like, he's never been my favorite. Um, he his early stuff was super clever, but I I was never into the delivery. I guess I mean, but but yeah. I still love him for for yeah. what he's done. That one special is pretty awesome. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I agree. He's he's also not in my like top tier, but I I, yeah. I respect the way he handled it. I think it's a tough situation. I'm glad that most people, except like those Twitter states or whatever, seem to uh, think that he was right and he was um you know right uh, yeah. like and and the, that the whole thing was stupid there obviously there have been ter- terrible takes like you know as a white woman i don't i <laughs> sh- i have no right to have an opinion <laughs> oh. on this. like those kinds of that kind of i was so, i'm so annoyed at those things like you even <laughs> saw some people saying like white people shouldn't say anything about this i'm like oh come on this is just like a this t- this is also a moment between two human beings. Like, I don't know what it, what you're trying to say here. Um, it's And it's not like they don't have an opinion on it. <laughs> they just want to say that they have no right to an opinion on Twitter. But I'm sure that they, like, in their weird little worlds. Or maybe not. Like, I don't know what the, like, the, the kind of super woke virtue signalers, like, how they, like, interact. <laughs> yeah, just don't amongst... say anything, Ben. Just shut up. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Uh, I am a little bummed that uh, that it took some shine out of uh, Questlove, who won an Oscar yeah. for Summer of Soul, and he is somebody I, I really love, and I'm so happy that he won. I have not seen Summer of Soul, but <laughs> that's uh, that's unbelievable that you haven't seen it. Uh, I you know I don't know where it's out. I think it's on Hulu. Is it on Hulu? Yeah, but you know. I take my time. I have read yeah. two Questlove books, so, I'm, so my yeah. my fandom is certified. Yeah, well, we'll Quest, have to, we'll Quest, have to do an episode up. on it to get you. To hit watch. me up, Questo. <laughs> you sent me a tweet about it that was very funny. Yeah, uh, it was the funniest one. <laughs> <laughs> to those saying Will Smith hitting Chris Rock is funny, ask you this: replace Will with the word airplanes and Chris with twin towers. Not laughing now, are you? <laughs> That's exactly the kind of attention that it, it like, exactly. that we should be giving. <laughs> That's the honorable response to <laughs> um, to the episode, uh, <laughs> um. But so so uh, yeah, I 
like I said about the Mike Tyson thing, when I saw Will Smith there, like he seemed unhinged and like kind of worried me. Yeah. Not that I, you know, like whatever Will Smith, I'm sure has $20 million therapists, but, but, uh, no, totally. Dodd. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think like there was something obviously wrong with him mm-hmm. then, you know, mm-hmm. and like something snapped or whatever, but like, it's clearly something that uh, like, he's not fully well. Yeah. To do that, because under the circumstances, like, you know, given that he's going to be up there giving a speech, given like, I think it's just like, there's no way he could have thought that that was anything but just, yeah. you know, like, like a huge stain on his whole career as yeah. kind of a good guy. And I don't think yeah. this means he's not a good guy. No. But, um, right. But it's yeah. like a weird lo- a loss of control, you know, I mean, yeah. There have been famous incidents of like, you know, much more uh, dangerous people like at the, you know, the Source Awards in like 1996 where Suge Knight gets up there and disses, disses all of New York, like in New oh, York. Yeah. Oh, where yeah. like, you uh, know. If you that, don't want to be like just dancing with like. <laughs> all up in your videos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's right. so funny. Where, where like those were dangerous people. Like that, that, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, that could, that could like. That probably did lead poorly. to like people dying. Oh, it did. Yeah. And it, but, but like that Will Smith had a run up. Like, it's like, what? Yeah. Some, something is miscalibrated in anybody's mind who thinks that that's the appropriate right. response. Yeah. Uh, They're also both like in their 50s, right? Yeah. Chris Rock, I was surprised to find out. Nikki was looking him up on Wikipedia. He's 57. I know. I would have thought yeah. I was as old or older than Chris Rock. but Yeah, I would have thought you were definitely older. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. um, By the way, uh, this conference at West Point Military Academy, I have to say, like, I was really impressed with what goes on there. And I know I got to see a very small sliver, but what I saw was like, did not align with my preconceptions. It wasn't like full metal jacket. (laughs) I thought it would be like the war room in Dr. Strange love, but (laughs) no, I, yeah, no, it wasn't like, uh, it it was like the kinds of questions, discussions they were having and questions they were just addressing straight on. Like, Really, uh, yeah, well, at some point I'll maybe talk about it, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And one tribute to them is they did not, there was not a lot of conversation about the Chris Rock, Will Smith <laughs> thing, even though, you know, it started to trickle through what happened. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm hoping by the time, by the time we air this, it'll be irrelevant, but uh I, I mean, I think it'll be, it's hard, unlike most like 48, 24 hour news cycle things, like this one is something that will always be like the the ear biting yep. thing. Like yep. it'll never, the people are too famous and it's just at, the, you know, like a very famous annual event. Like there's no way that we're not going to be talking about this for a while. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. And I think maybe most indicative of this is that the still shots of Chris Rock right after he was slapped yeah. um, are, are have already been made into memes, um, yeah. and that those will be <laughs> those will be in circulation for a while. And while I'm normally not a fan of mass incarceration, I do think Will Smith should have been arrested, charged, and put away for put years. away, f- not for life, but pretty much. <laughs> We're American, at least twenty five, <laughs> at least twenty five. Um, no, actually, do you think? I mean, I think security should have grabbed him for sure after that. 
I don't know. Like I, I was, I, I heard some people debating this. Should he have been allowed to like go accept his award? Should he have been? I think it's a tough situation if you're there, if you're one of the organizers or, you know, whoever's in charge of calling security, whoever's in charge of, you know, because you also have like Denzel up there talking to him and you have. uh, Well, I would have thought that there were there would be security like right at the stage, you know, like at some Guns N' Roses concert, you know, (laughs) but I I don't know if that's the case. But they're not trained for that. Like, how do you know? Well, if if one of the like actors comes up and slaps a presenter, would like do this right. so i'm sure they're trained like if one of the seat fillers like kirsten dunce ran up Stop. on stage <laughs> like or jesse plemons <laughs> um, make your jesse but, plemons joke if you're gonna make it <laughs> fat matt damon tried to run up there um huffing and but, puffing up the- <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but so i don't blame them for not preventing it because you know will it's will smith walking up to the stage who knows what's gonna happen but right afterwards i feel like there's there might be good reason to try to like escort him to the back yeah find out i agree like i'm not there. saying if they had done that it would have been wrong but i also totally understand yeah. them yeah, not. Yeah. they they probably weren't even sure if it was a bit at that point because until he starts yelling that's, at chris rock i don't think if anybody knew yeah if it was and a that's bit. when you see in his face that's where i knew right away yeah. in his face that it wasn't a bit because up until that point it could easily have been Especially since Chris Rock seems so unfazed, sort of like he, like he was, like you say, in shock, but not visibly injured or I don't know. You know, he was so poised. He was like, I didn't watch it live, and I already knew it wasn't a bit by the time I watched the the clip. Yeah. But I still think that I would have thought it was a bit uh, up till that point. Like if I had been watching it live, because like the alternative is that Will Smith just lost his fucking mind and just right. went up and slapped him over a not that funny, but also not that offensive joke. It's uh, yeah. Like, like, of course I would think it was a bit. And then, um, yeah. by the way, I, I, uh, right afterwards put up a poll that yeah. said asking who would apologize first. I was sort of surprised not by that. So Will Smith, the, the answer was 40% Will Smith, 9% Chris Rock. But the option that there would be no apologies made was 51%. Yeah. And uh, that kind of surprised me. Yeah. I think, you know, like if you just hear about it and be like, oh, she has alopecia, then, uh, yeah. you know, like that, that's not cool or whatever. You don't make fun of somebody's <laughs> illness. But he might, he, he may well not have known. Yeah, he might not have known. But even if he did, it's like. Uh, I mean, I certainly didn't know. Yeah. Like, uh, no. I mean, I'm not Chris Rock, but it's not like you're. I think you have to be like heavy up on the in, the the Pinkett Smith Instagrams. Also, just know. the idea that like she's a very famous person. Like she's not quite as famous as uh, <laughs> as Will Smith, but she's very famous. And the idea that Chris Rock just can't joke around about <laughs> like, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, like Jada Jada Pinkett Smith is like ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't he be able to joke? Like, why would Amy Schumer? And actually, she shouldn't. So this is a terrible example. But <laughs> by, why should she get? Like, why should that be okay? But like Chris Rock <laughs> making a joke about you know, like that's it. Just doesn't make any sense. Toxic masculinity, Tamler. <laughs> oh God, those takes though are just the worst. Also, I mean, it's toxic, you know. But I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know why it has to be about about anything other than Will Smith being crazy. I was surprised watching it, you know, just first hearing about it and then watching it that there's just something about it that I don't know, like it it exudes like bitch move. 
You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know yeah, yeah. why. Like, I like, because, like, in the, you know, he walks up there. He's very, po- like, he's very poised. He's, like, got that movie star walk, slaps him, just turns around and walks back. But there's something, and maybe it's just I already had made my judgment, and so I'm projecting on it. But there's something, of the optics of it just seemed like a bitch move. Did you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's in part because he lost control in a way that actually made him seem like the weaker one. Yeah. Um, and that his hand, like Chris Rock is like not defending himself or anything like that. He has like not no a threat in any it, way. Like, yeah. Like it's the guy who played Muhammad Ali. He's like, Oh, what's going on? You know, slapping the zebra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Madagascar references for all our, for all our 10 year olds listeners. <laughs> no, they're like 20 by now. Um, all right. Uh, well, look, we've managed to squeeze like, half an hour out of yeah this. maybe we should just put our this the opening segment we have for next time we'll just do this yeah i think so all right <laughs> all right do you want to say coming up then or? all right so coming up <laughs> we won't do it coming up <laughs> in the in the next segment are the conclusion of our discussion on the trial by franz <laughs> <laughs> you fucking forgot <laughs> uh, all right <laughs> This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you in part by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Tamler, um, both of our daughters are going to be off to college next year. Yeah, uh, you know, I know. Well, we might need therapy for that, but that isn't where I was going uh, with this. I remember for the first time when I was in college, feeling stressed out. Like I guess life had just been kind of easy. I mean, it's not. It's not like. <laughs> So like I'd never been stressed, but I started getting uh, stomach aches, like digestive problems, like real, real bad stomach aches. But I had no idea what they were. I thought something was medically just wrong with me. Mm. And I went down. I remember driving myself to the ER and waited. You know how it is when you have to go to the ER, especially when yeah. it's like a stomach ache. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just there for like days. There are people with like their arms hanging, like exactly. hanging off, like, like barely. Finally, the doctor sees me, asks me a bunch of questions. And at the end, she's asking me like, is your semester particularly hard or are you having a, a hard time in school? And it was. And I was like, yeah, but what the fuck does that have to do with my stomach ache? And she's like, here, I'm going to give you this. And they were just like, super strength antacids it turns mm-hmm. out that it was just I, that i was only having symptoms because of stress but i had no idea that stress could have these bodily effects on me there's where i started learning it really yeah. it, it really can fuck with you yeah. um it shows up in all kinds of ways we live in a world that tells you to do more sleep less grind all the time tamler Oh, God, I grind my teeth, and I know that that's stress. It's not just that I like to grind it. Actually, I've lost thousands of dollars from grinding my teeth because of the little nubs that I had to get replaced. The the cosmetic surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So take this. You could take this ad as a reminder to just check in with yourself. Um, Maybe pay attention to some of the bodily symptoms uh, that, that the stress can you know, can wreak havoc on you. And BetterHelp is a great solution to try to tackle that directly. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. 
It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. So give it a try. Who knows? It might actually help you. It can help lower your stress. It might help you with your relationships. It might help you with uh, your depression, sadness, anxiety. Just give BetterHelp a try. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Very Bad Wizards listeners get 10% off of their first month at betterhelp.com slash VBW. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash VBW. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. And I won't come round this way again With a lonely wind abides And you will not take my heart alive You will not take my heart alive You will not Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the predictable time of the show where we like to take a moment to thank everybody for being so supportive. We really appreciate all the ways in which you engage with us, in which you engage with each other, and you just, I don't know, you keep our morale high. Morale can get low, right? It like, often does, you know, because <laughs> we have to deal with each other. You know, <laughs> know. We have to deal with... We're work, like our, soldiers our in this life. podcast war. We're like the Russian soldiers. You know, their morale, <laughs> their morale must be very yeah, low. Exactly. <laughs> You're like our Ukrainian territory that we're trying to conquer, but we can't. We just can't get our shit together. No, you would be if it weren't for the fact that all of That's you right. are reaching out to us. So thank you. You can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com. Still, as always, we read our emails. Just can't always respond to all of them, but we very much appreciate them. You can tweet to us directly at, at Very Bad Wizards or at Tamler and at Peas. You can follow the Instagram, uh, just Very Bad Wizards, um, where you can see the latest postings for each uh, episode and interesting artwork and sometimes discussion, I hear. And uh, you can go to Reddit and Follow our lively subreddit and get into arguments there, reddit.com slash r slash verybadwizards. You know, a special shout out, and I, I left it in my office, so I don't even have his name, but to uh, the person who posted this on Reddit, and I hadn't been back in my office for forever, so I didn't get it yet, but he sent me like a Zahir. Oh, wow. Know, like a little coin. Uh, Whoa, that's and it awesome. it was very cool, yeah. Uh, that's super cool. All right. Um, you can... Please rate us on Apple Podcasts and uh, listen and subscribe to us on Spotify. Help our reach get out there. I did see one Apple Podcast review where somebody actually complained uh, that we were um, unfair to the M and M's. Wait, the 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 rebranding of the, the M&Ms? rebranding of the M and M's. So there are people. <laughs> did we get like? Did they they chastised stars? They, they because cha- of that? yeah yeah yep. Three, wow. I think three out of five stars for for not understanding what a difference this might make in the lives of our young daughters. I believe. Um, he, here's the thing: 
is that we will tell the truth. And sometimes those are difficult truths. <laughs> and we will still tell them, even if it means, you know, two stars lost. I if don't. it was three stars, maybe we would just tell say what you wanted us to say. But <laughs> two stars, I will just say that I don't think this is going to lead to the emancipation of women in... Okay. Well, I, I also just think that if we personify M&Ms, we're performing literal violence every time we eat them and chew them and swallow them. <laughs> that, I don't literal, <laughs> literal cannibalism. <laughs> literal cannibalism. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you to everybody for all the ways that you reach out to us, even when it's to complain. <laughs> <laughs> and if you would like uh, to support us in more tangible ways... Um, there are a lot of different ways to do that. You can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal. All of these you can find on the support page of VeryBadWizards.com. You can um, you buy some of our swag. <laughs> and then finally, you can support us on Patreon. Um, we're building a solid stream of support, I would say, on Patreon, and we love all of our patrons. You, there are different tiers that you can support us at $1 and up per episode. You get uh, all the volumes of Dave's Beats, and you have another one on the way. On the way soon. Yeah. Um, you also get ad-free episodes um, at that level. Um, at $2 and up per episode, you get bonus episodes, including now... Uh, monthly Ask Us Anything audios that are, you know, just a couple weeks backed up. And you get bonus episodes, and we're about to do one where we're going to record one this weekend, long promised by me, um, yes. on the movie... Millennium Actress, Public Commitment. You heard it here first. You, and then at $5 and up... Per episode, you get all of Dave's intro to psych lectures. You get a couple of my lectures that I did during the pandemic on Plato's Symposium. You get to vote on the episode, you know, twice a year, listener-selected episodes with uh, nominations by all of our patrons. And uh, you get access directly on that feed uh, to the Brothers Karamazov five-episode series. And finally, at the highest tier, the celestial tier of $10 and up per episode, you get to ask us questions. You get everything else, plus you get to ask us questions every month, and we will record a video answering your questions we have answered every single question sometimes the question is no like the answer is no i haven't read that right that's interesting right. i have no idea but, what you're talking about <laughs> but we have answered every single question and um so far i think we've really enjoyed doing that like it yeah. is one of the things in our busy lives that we look forward to so um it's just a win-win um, or at least it's a total win for us because we love doing it and you're asking great questions. And perhaps mild disappointment for you, but definitely a win <laughs> yeah, for us. So, so a win-lose, <laughs> but we win. <laughs> uh, thank you to everybody who supports us. It uh, means so much to us. We may joke around about it sometimes, but it really does mean a lot to us. So thank you. Thank you. All right, now, Tamler, after weeks has gone by, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are in completely <laughs> different places at completely <laughs> different times. Uh, let's dive into our part two of Kafka's The Trial. So in in this, the sort of the, the ending part of the book, the second half of the book, um, I think it makes more sense to try to hit on some of the themes that have come up, that came up in the first episode and that continue in this half of the book. But one thing I wanted to say that that you won't get until you read the book is the insertion of little details that really make the story. I think that evocative nature that you were talking about comes in part from the details that he chooses to include. So uh, for one, that there are these little girls when he's trying to find the apartment and one of them is just, uh, well, we were going to get to that. In a hunchback. Yeah, yeah, the hunchback. Um, early on when he gets arrested, there are three clerks that belong to his bank and he just makes a note that one of them has like a muscular twitch that makes it look like he's smiling all the time. And he's trying really hard not to make any comment about it because it would be embarrassing for him. But there's something about that uh, uh, that description of a person who who has a defect that makes him look like he's always smiling. I can't put my finger on what it is that that seems meaningful about that. But given the kind of comedic darkness of this book yeah it seems consistent it's with that. nightmarish and clown like also yeah. it's like a scary clown or something but it's i would say more unsettling than it is terrifying or scary it's exactly. just, it's it's just unsettling. unsettling unnerving uncanny um yeah. Also, like the the weird description of the webbed finger. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, so this is when uh, I don't know if we even said this two weeks ago, but um, <laughs> the, those men are at his house at the same time the that the people are arresting him, and they had thought to just bring three people from his work, <laughs> from his work, to escort him to work after he's been informed that 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 he was arrested yeah it's another example of like his work life or his real life non-legal uh life just merging with his legal life and in a kind of an invasive way yeah you know there's there is something to maybe interpretations that want to see the law and the workings of the law as something supernatural because you know this is how it was always described to me that there are sort of hidden forces constantly at work, like the angels and the demons that are, that are here, like right here in the room who are battling out for our souls. Um, right. And also that there's some rules you're supposed to follow and, and something that you did or didn't do, but like, it's all very uh, <laughs> right. uh, opaque, exact what you're guilty of or what. So I, I totally see that. Yeah. The, the, that detail that you just read, made me think as i often am want to do that's a very lynchian quality that i you know this ability to just unsettle you mm -hmm. in a very kind of dreamy way but but to feel that deep sense of unsettling of, of being unsettled or unnerved as you put it, it and and lynch was a huge kafka fan i i think like that's something that 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 he picked up on you yeah. know is that that with just tiny little details that are not that uncanny right but just a little bit off you can do so much emotional you can evoke so many just like strong emotions in the reader or the viewer and, yeah and it's masterful the way he does that i don't know if anybody does it quite as well yeah yeah right so um we got to, in the last episode we got to the part where uh he Joseph is Joseph K is realizing that his his actions might be affecting other people as well, and so he's continuing into this 
sort of less and less control. And I think this part of the book you alluded to at the end of last episode is where now he starts more actively seeking out uh, other people to help him. Well, or they seek, or him. They seek him. Yeah, out, it's right. more they seek him out, actually. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he sometimes takes an initiative to follow their advice or something. Yeah. Like that, and it's, yeah. And it starts with a visit from his uncle, Uncle Carl. Uncle Carl. You know, nobody at to this point in the text has asked him really straight up whether he's guilty or right. not. And the uncle doesn't either, right? He just comes in and is like, what are you doing? <laughs> What's this I hear, Joseph? <laughs> And he clearly also has the trial is affecting his work, but also his family responsibilities. And he has this niece, I guess, that he or cousin that he should have visited and maybe pretended that he visited. So he's feeling bad about that when yeah. the uncle shows up as well. Right. Because the niece actually wrote to the uncle and said that you know, told him about the, the trial. Well, the niece told him that the niece tried to cover for Joseph K. not getting in touch with with uh, she did yeah, yeah. But she's the one who Which alerted sweet. him to, yeah, yeah it was really the, sweet yeah. yeah yeah and the uncle is reproaching him he's like what are you doing not that he's guilty because he doesn't really act that he's but he says the way you're just sitting there like you don't act like an innocent man <laughs> yeah act yeah. like why aren't you taking a more proactive uh approach to to your trial put real work into this young man and he, he doesn't you don't know at this point the dejection he's probably feeling he yeah he's at this point he's very weary like this yeah. is not the joseph k that's haughty and indignant right. this is the joseph k right now that just is is made tired by the whole thing we're in that stage of dealing with customer service where you're no longer <laughs> mad you've yelled yourself out you know and now you just are just getting you know just all right well just tell me what to do then. yeah yeah and so so his uncle says look i know someone i know a lawyer um who, who will help you out. He's a friend. And so that's when they head over to, to the lawyer's apartment. When they try to get in, they are met by his nurse, Lenny, right? Yeah. Um, Although she doesn't let them in at first. She doesn't let them in at first. She says he's sick. Um, he can't, he can't see anybody. The uncle takes an immediate dislike to this nurse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, he thinks she's like a, like a banshee of sorts or something. The lawyer is sick, but I guess is still willing to see him out of possibly respect for the uncle or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then just goes into this extremely long winded to the point where I had trouble following it. Just description of the legal processes that he was facing and what he would do. And then I, I love this quote where from because this is being told kind of from Kay's perspective as he's hearing it. Was it consolation or despair the lawyer sought to produce? <laughs> Kay didn't know, but soon he held it for an established fact that his defense was not in good hands. Everything the lawyer said might be true, although it was transparently clear he was primarily interested in emphasizing his own role and had probably never had a trial as important as he considered Kay's to be. Yeah, he, he mentions that Kay's case is interesting, yeah. like more interesting than most. But again, we never know why. We never find out why. No, and um, we don't even know if he really knows what the accusation is, but right. there is something just undeniably interesting about it, both for him, for the painter, for Lenny, the for nurse. Lenny, Lenny, the nurse. So this is the point where where there was a shadowy person in the room um, that emerges who turns out to have been a judge. And again, very dreamlike, like somebody just as with his three coworkers who he had noticed in the room, but for some reason hadn't noticed that they were his coworkers. In this case... They're talking, the uncle, the, the lawyer, who I think is in, actually in bed. And then all of a sudden, a figure, a shadowy figure emerges that he had no idea was there, who turns out to be the chief clerk of the court. 
And that mm. is kind of creepy. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Just in the room. Yeah. And so, and then as they're talking, <laughs> yeah. all of them. You could just see that. I remember. <laughs> now I do remember it's like it. It's the right? third like, man. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. Like another kind of dream that I've had. Like I have those. There's so many things that it hits on of dreams that I just have. He, yeah. he knows how my dreams work. Like <laughs> nobody else does in the way that the same kinds of things are happening in my dreams. Yeah. Avenue right. Joseph K. Right. It's, and it, it seems to me that it's challenge, very challenging to write in a way that, that could describe that dream. Like, I think it might be easier to show it, yeah. you know, like, and this is where, <laughs> again, you know, this is Joseph narrating the story of what happens, but but I guess we have no reason to disbelieve what he says. But all of a sudden, there's a sound of a breaking china plate on the wall. And it was the nurse, Lenny, who was trying to get his attention. Yeah. So he just leaves this very important meeting with his uncle, the lawyer, and now like the this court official. He just leaves and he goes yeah. and... and I mean, and probably rightly so. It doesn't <laughs> seem like he was learning anything necessarily useful right. there. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so it turns out she just wanted to get his attention, right? And so, so they have like a dalliance of some sort. He says, "I." This is very true. He says, "I recruit women helpers." He thought, almost amazed. First, Fraulein Burstner, although I don't think she, she didn't help. She didn't. Shit. She didn't help him. Uh, then the court's usher's wife, and now this little nurse who seems to have an inexplicable desire for me. Yeah. Again, very like you know, I have those dreams. <laughs> um, and the nurse is clearly hitting on him and says, "Do." You you have a sweetheart and he says no i don't but then he's like oh no wait i do that elsa chip that i mentioned before may and, or may not exist yeah and uh and this is the the creepy part that i was alluding to lenny says is there anything wrong with her like he's like like what she's like does she have a physical defect yeah. <laughs> at all and he's like uh i don't think so do you and she's like yeah check out this and so she spreads apart her middle and ring fingers of her right hand between which the connecting skin extended almost to the top knuckle of her short fingers what a whim of nature. What a pretty claw. claw. <laughs> so yeah, weird. I have that marked down too. Lenny watched with a kind of pride as Kay opened and closed her two fingers repeatedly in astonishment until he finally kissed them lightly and released them. And then they just have what seems like a very kind of clumsy kissing scene with like kind of kissing all around the necks and bite. He says biting his hair. She's biting his hair. Like what, what is that? Like is his that, pubes. I, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I read an, in somebody's uh, summary of the plot, they just assumed or inferred that they had, they had sex. You could do that yeah. in them. Although I didn't in uh, any of these cases, I saw it as unconsummated and it's just part, another part of the frustration of not knowing like yeah. what's going to happen or not being able to bring anything to a kind of closure. Right. It's it, like, she's on his lap. So I guess it could have happened. Um, but yeah. And then he, and then he just leaves her and goes out to the street to only to find his uncle and his uncle's like, what the fuck? I've been waiting here. <laughs> yeah. Again. So it's like, it's, it's raining and he's like, you just left the meeting. And also he's like, I've been waiting out in the, in this cab because uh, he was <laughs> yeah. just leaving the house at that point. And, you know, all of a sudden the uncle who you would think would be back with the lawyer, still, yeah. but he's now just in a cab going home and every, everybody's just, just kind of frustrated with him. Yeah. And yeah. that, and he just takes it at this point. Like he'll put up a fight every once in a while, but, but he's really just taking it. Yeah. And so, so he develops it. So the lawyer really says, yeah, yeah, I'm working on your stuff, but but one of the things that emerges in, in this part of the book is that the lawyer doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. And it's frustrating because 
isn't that his job to let me know? Like what he hasn't even submitted a petition. He says he's working on this petition, but he hasn't done anything. And Kay finally just resolves himself to, uh, he resolves to go and dismiss the lawyer. He says like, this guy isn't doing shit. Is that before or after the painter? I think it's, so he, he resolves, but doesn't he actually fire the lawyer after he meets with the painter? I think so. I think so. Yeah. But there, there, this is one of those order questions that I had because it seems clear at this point that he is going to leave the lawyer, but he hasn't dismissed him. And that's in fact a big scene that happens later. And so what happens is that he gets, he's told by, is it one of the bank clients? Yeah. Yeah, there's a bank client. He keeps like he's he's being derelict in his work and he keeps right. people waiting. And this merchant, he goes off with the, the, the guy goes off with uh, the vice president. But then he comes back in um, and says, hey, listen, I heard about your trial. I know a painter who has very intimate connections with the court. I think he could help you. But it's even weird. Again, there's no reason why people are helping him like this. But not at all. But but. Uh, you know, again, a case of like, wait, how many people are connected yeah. uh, to this whole thing? And it's also weird that uh, a painter, right, like somebody who is is uh, an artist, and it turns out not even a very good artist, would know or be able to help him with his legal troubles. Like, it's so random. It's it's interesting the way the merchant is you know, offering the help. He's like, he says, look, I think you should go see him. And like, I'm just, I'll write a letter of introduction. But then he thought, well, how about I'll just have him come here? But the merchant's like, I don't think that's a good idea. That (laughs) could reflect poorly on you uh, in your job. But it's like, so there's this still assumption, I guess, that the higher ups don't know about his trial. And, or I don't know, there's something very bizarre about you know, how he has to delicately handle this, the painter and right. reading. And here's where he really is like, like starting to doubt his own, like his own wits. He says, no, that's fucking right. He's like, here, I was about to like make this yeah. huge mistake and have this painter come to talk to me about my case in work. Like he's, he's like, I can't, like, I can't even trust my own judgment anymore. This is like really become right. like an all encompassing. And, uh, and he had resolved to take up his own defense. Yeah. Um, which like, maybe we should just talk about like how to interpret that. But so he resolves to do that. But now he is doubting whether he has he's up to it intellectually. Yeah, he, he, right. He has his wits about him enough to be able to mount a successful defense. Yeah. Um, so that this is it, one of the things that makes him like, oh, God, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mess right now. Yeah. And it's even weird. At some point, I think it says that he starts to write his own petition like he spends some time working on it. Yeah. We're never quite clear what goes into that petition, though. Like yeah. what like what is he even saying? And what's not clear to me is, does he know what he does? Do you have a sense of what he's being accused of? So now he's writing some long sort of like, here's why I'm not, uh, you know, why I'm innocent. Uh, or is this just him writing once again, kind of like the speech that he gave in front of the, of the court, which was really had no content that had to do with his actual innocence. It was just more of like a, how dare the court do this? Yeah. Like I took it as more like him going back to the proceedings the, the next week yeah. without having been summoned. Like nobody asked him to do a petition and it's not clear what the petition is for. The whole point of a petition is like you are asking for something, but I don't think it's ever clear what 
he's asking for and and how could it be clear what he's asking for he doesn't know what he's charged of but in any case i think the painter in like a throwaway line says eh, petitions don't matter anyway. yeah exactly yeah. so like it's all just futile yeah and i guess that's i wonder what how to interpret th that idea so like i feel like the petition has symbolic resonances uh, depending on how you read it yeah it's it's almost like the painter initiates him into the deeper sort of knowledge where now you know like at first you might think petitions are the things that you should do but really like here's 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 the skinny about it like, but i guess what does that symbolize if you read this in as a sort of a parable in some sense for religion or god what would the petition be in a reading like that trying to understand the problem of evil or nothing that dramatic i don't think yeah i don't know you know i, I guess you could see in christianity it's very clear that and in islam i suppose that you have to submit that you can't save yourself and maybe this is the petition is is an attempt to plead his innocence when in reality what you have to do is admit that you are guilty guilty and flawed and throw yourself sort of submit to god or or accept the salvation of christ or whatever um you know one thing i that I, I was really brought back to and thinking about it. And I didn't really make this connection so much as I was reading it, but more, almost immediately after is the book of Job, which is similar in the sense that Job has clearly done something wrong, but he has no idea what. Oh, he hasn't done it. Job hasn't done anything Oh, right. Wrong. He hasn't yeah. done anything wrong. But yeah. he thinks from his perspective, I <laughs> have been because look at all the bad things that are happening to me. His friends tell him, you must have sinned. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's sort of the friends and their speeches in Job remind me of a lot of the speeches that someone like the painter or the lawyer will give where yeah. they're just they're long winded and yeah. not helpful. Completely you know, like they unhelpful. just make it more confusing, but also add little bits of reproach or little bits of like how do you how are you not like understanding this yeah. how are you not getting it and it just uh you know and there's and there you know and job i think we talked about this there's something so unsatisfying about each of those speeches yeah. they really aren't uh in any way answering the qu the questions that joseph i mean you say that job <laughs> is asking and and he has a total right to ask it seems like, yeah you know yeah but they don't even accept or acknowledge his right to ask those questions yeah and you know one of the that makes me think that the answers that Job's friends give him are basically like, no, there is justice. Like, repent for your sins and God will stop punishing you because you clearly did something wrong. It's a very legalistic way of thinking about, mm -hmm. about this. Like, you have a contract with God. If you, if you behave, everything will go well. If you misbehave, things will go poorly. You must have misbehaved, therefore, um, uh, things, are go things are going poorly, therefore, you must have misbehaved. And it seems like in... In the trial here, as we're getting to this this part of the book, one of the things that's becoming clear is that the law might not be just in the way that people would think, that there is no deep fairness. And I think part of the giving up on the petition is the petition was to appeal to the reason of the court to, yeah. to say, like, look, here's my evidence. I've done nothing wrong. And what he keeps learning throughout this process is that the court doesn't really care about that. Right. Like and that's not the point. That's not. And in fact, it might even be like definitionally impossible. Like I get a little bit of like divine command theory vibes yeah. where like something is wrong because God says it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so if the law says you're guilty, then you're guilty. Yeah. Like it's conceptually impossible for you to be innocent, even though the law considers you guilty. Yeah. Um, right. 
So, right. yeah. Um, and, and the petition is just trying to get out of that situation, but yeah, to, and, and, to no avail. And in this case, like, he, he, because he doesn't really know the law, he doesn't even know what, <laughs> right. like, what the argument might be. There's what? a there's a, a moment that I love here when he's talking to Titarelli, the painter. Um, and the painter shows him uh, this portrait of, of a judge. And in the in that portrait, the judge is sitting on this like magnanimous throne. Yeah. And uh, Joseph K is looking at the throne and trying to see the details of, of what what's, is being represented in the throne. And the painter has to tell him, he says, it's the figure of justice. It's just not done yet. And he says, now I recognize it. Um, there's the blindfold over her eyes and he, here are the scales. But then he goes, but then what, aren't there wings on her heels? And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's like justice combined with the goddess of victory. And he points out like, well, that's a terrible combination because the whole point of the scales is that they're supposed to be carefully weighing right and wrong. If, the, if, the, if justice is in motion, those scales are going to be all over the place. And I think that just symbolizes the realization that he's having, which is that there is no fairness here. There's no justice. The law, the law is just only in the most superficial way that you might think. Yeah, well, it's but it's superficial in one sense in that there's no fairness to it, but it's also so complex that it's also, you know, another way that it's inaccessible or indecipherable. Yeah. It's just it's completely indecipherable. You can't negotiate for it. It's like being in a maze that there's just absolutely no way of of escaping. Right. So the this the superficial sense that uh, that I met really is that like the the naivete of interpreting the law as uh, codified fairness, right? Right. Yes. When what what he's getting here with the painter of all people is initiated into the depths of this. The clerks and the lawyer haven't really been able to tell him much, and the painter starts to shed a little bit of light on. Yeah, on and the and here's where you start to say, wait, could you take this? more literally that the law is a metaphor for the law, <laughs> the law <laughs> you yeah. know like be imagine being like a you know you hear these horror stories from the criminal justice system of people who are who, accused, actually, innocent. Yeah. who are actually innocent but like the the depths uh and the complexity of trying to even show evidence that could yeah. exonerate you there's is, there's so many levels of obstruction and the and the system seems designed for those for that obstruction to be there and so so I definitely think he has this in mind as well. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's a good point. And and um, what's what's also made sort of clear throughout is that successfully, I'll put it successfully in quotes, successfully navigating your trial is more about knowing the right people yeah. and being able to make connections than it is about do, going through any process like that. The process is not really available to you as a normal person. This episode is brought to you in part by Super Speciosa Kratom. Uh, David, this is a bad time of the semester. You know what I mean? And you go to you go to the office. You you know you have meetings. You teach a class on political philosophy. And then you got to come home and like deal with your family and you you know like my daughter. I mean you know them right, Jen. I got to deal with that shit now. And I don't. Sometimes you just want to pop a few kratom, have a scot like you know just a little bit of bourbon. Like uh, I'm drinking Boondocks and just. 
relax and let it all kind of go away. And you can pretend for just a moment that everything isn't horrible. <laughs> you know what I'm going <laughs> to pretend? I'm going to pretend like I don't use Kratom as a drug. I'm going to be, I'm going to be your, the straight man to your, uh, to your druggy uh, persona and say that sometimes I take Kratom to deal with the physical pain that comes from aging. Like for instance, I walked my dog longer than I normally do the other day, and I got home. I wanted to take some Kratom. <laughs> Just from the, like, you were sore. <laughs> exactly. You were sore from the from the walk. Yeah, no, That's right. it, it works for that, too. Like, I'm talking about just the mental strain of being around people in academia. And oh, God. Uh, And yeah, anyway, Uh, Super Speciosa Kratom has only one ingredient, which is pure Kratom leaf, this like magic Thai leaf that makes you feel just a little chiller and happier and more appreciative than you might otherwise. Um, They all come with certified lab reports. This is huge. So you know exactly what you're getting and you can like look up the lab reports and the you know, like, who knows? Maybe that's like a biased sample or... Pull out your solar calculator and put on your thick-rimmed glasses and, you know, start <laughs> start ch- double-checking their numbers. Hold on. Did, they didn't pre-register <laughs> this. Um, Super Speciosa offers Kratom powder, which I still haven't fully figured out, capsules, which I love, tablets which I also haven't tried yet, and yeah. teas, which is, I love. Have you have you done no, the tea? No, I still haven't done the tea. Oh, yeah. you got to do the tea. I know, I got to yeah. do the tea. Uh, yeah, I, I was a big fan of the tea. Um, so uh, it gives you an extra energy boost. You can wind down and relax after work. I think I've covered that. And pre-workout or post-workout recovery, like you taking your dog for a while. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. With Super Speciosa, you get 100% satisfaction or your money back guaranteed. But if you want to try it now, uh, you will get 20% off. If you just go to getsuperleaf.com slash VBW, you'll get 20% off with the promo code VBW. Again, that's getsuperleaf.com slash VBW and use promo code VBW for 20% off. Our thanks to Super Speciosa and their Kratom for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Like, I want to spend some time on the the apparent acquittal, the protraction. Uh, Before we get there, I just, like, I don't want to just highlight the painter and the vivid nature and this crazy picture you get of this painter's house with these little girls and the hunchback and they're all trying to get into the painter's room and they're <laughs> yeah. always there's always people at keyholes right. you know there's always people this is it it, it does get kind of <laughs> nightmare just like like uh, there's always a threat for these girls to burst through the, the like door and they're constantly like laughing or like reporting on what they can right. hear and it's just meanwhile he's getting this actually what seems like the painter is actually giving him as you said something that he for the first time really wants to pay attention to. yeah exactly yeah i love how the, like, the little hunchback girl is the only one who makes it past the defenses of the painter and, right and, and the painter also said asked is the first to ask him if he's innocent yeah he's the first that's right which gives gives you at least me gave me a lit like a little bit of a sense that okay he might he might get something from this painter. Yeah, right. Like right. The, yeah. And it says it was like a relief. 
but then, so it, this is an interesting little thing, right? He says, uh, are you innocent? Kay says, yes. Answering this question was a positive pleasure, particularly since he was making the statement to a private citizen and thus bore no yeah. true responsibility. No one had ever asked him so openly. To savor this pleasure in full, he added, I am totally innocent. But this is another thing that is like makes you think, well, is he? He's he's relieved that it's a you know, like it's yeah. private, and so he won't bear any legal, legal responsibility for lying. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I I actually hadn't caught that little bit. Um, but but it makes me think, yeah, what what's going on in his mind is he doesn't really know. And and part of that is, well, that's fair because you don't know what you're accused of. But yeah. part of it is also maybe like uh, he is guilty of some 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 things, but he, you know, right. He, he doesn't want but he doesn't know if those are the things that that he's being accused of. That's right. He doesn't know if he's he's uh, has guilt in the legal sense, but he seems to have guilt in the emotional sense that that is making him doubt. Um, whether or not he might be culpable of something bad. Which is also something I think that is a characteristic of our legal system where, yeah. like, you know, you even for people who are innocent, they get a lot of confessions out of people because yeah. if all this massive bureaucratic weight seems to be saying that you're guilty, then you will say, I guess I am guilty. Well, and, you know, go, things never go to trial. Like so many people who are innocent just get, like their attorney makes a plea and and that's it's a deal right okay another surreal element which i think we mentioned last time is that the painter's bed the painter has lives in this very small uh room atelier atelier the judges have to go through his room to go to the proceedings the way they have to do that is open the door by his bed and climb over him as he's sleeping that's yeah. how he gets woken up every every morning and i love this line he says you'd lose any respect you have for judges if you could hear <laughs> the curses i shower on him as he climbs across my bed in the morning so weird yeah it's, it's, and i love the idea that i i'm so disrespectful for the to these judges that you won't respect them either but meanwhile he's the one that's getting woken up by this guy <laughs> stepping on his face <laughs> why so so i do want to get right to the uh, uh apparent the acquittal apparent acquittal and protraction but i did want to ask you why a painter that's a good question yeah um so the painter you know he paints these judges he paints them in their haughty poses their 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 self-aggrandized versions of of themselves and he says that it is a position he inherited, that the court painter is yeah. like a family position. His father was a, a, a court painter. And it's just, it was, it was odd to me. I don't have any theories as to, as to why this, the, this role would exist and what it means. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I didn't really think about that. It's very slippery to try to figure out like what, what that could be. Maybe it is something like, interpreters of a legal system or something like that you paint you know you have to try to represent reality in some way and but the painter who's like as you said not a very good painter is always going to be imperfect so there'll always be you know things that they get wrong yeah you know? and it, it's made clear as i've said before that the judges are asking for portraits of themselves that are flattering yeah. Right. Like that, that make them both look physically bigger um, and maybe more attractive than they are, but also more petty imposing. judges being in like these seats of like high judges. Right. Yeah. And it's like, why? Like, why are they even allowed to do that? 
Um, but, but it seems like a very important thing for these judges who, by the way, up until now, we've seen just them in like slums. Addicts. Like how, yeah. How, Addicts and slums. Yeah. How important can they be? Well, this is one of these very strange things. Yeah. And again, if you take a more religious allegory is that, you know, you thought that the gods were these, you know, right. like, you know, all powerful, uh, supernatural entities, but actually it's just more sordid than that. The the real truth of why we're here is much more sordid. I don't know. Let's talk about this thing where the painter says, all right, you're innocent. That's great. Good to hear. Um, well, <laughs> now we have to decide, like, do you want actual acquittal, apparent acquittal, or um, protraction. protraction? And he said, and Joseph Gay's like, oh, well, actual acquittal. Yeah. And he's like, okay, but that... Never happens, <laughs> or at least there's no record of, of it having right. ever happened. Right. So really, the choices are it's the illusion of choice. The choices are between uh, apparent acquittal and protraction. He says apparent acquittal requires more uh, effort up front. Protraction requires a more consistent effort throughout the process. So I guess actual uh, an actual acquittal would be that the case would the be case dismissed. is dropped. Yeah. yeah. And there's no records of it either, right. so you're, it's like it never happened. Right, but it also that also never. But that's happens. also never happened. Like it's it's unclear that you know nobody that we've talked to or seen so far even knows a high judge. Yeah. So then there's apparent acquittal, which the painter can help him get, apparently, which is to certify his innocence in some way. I guess the basic idea is you are, for all intents and purposes, yeah. you are, a, but it's not an actual acquittal. And, and the upshot of that is at any point it can come back. You, you have to live knowing that they might show up at your door and then the whole process starts all over again. Right. It's like a one of the high judges might notice that the lower judges stamped this thing, but like never really acquitted so they can just reinitiate it. Uh, and so like he would go to bed every night, maybe thinking that the next morning, those like those same two guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Floggy Flynn floggy. Uh, <laughs> will will be there arresting him again. And the, the cycle starts over again. All right. Well, then after the second apparent acquittal, then um, I'm free. Of course not, said the painter. The second acquittal, acquittal is followed by a third arrest, the third acquittal by a fourth arrest, and so on. That's a, inherent in the very concept of apparent <laughs> acquittal. And then Kay was silent. Apparent, apparent acquittal obviously doesn't strike you as an advantage. Should I go on to the nature <laughs> of protraction? Right. So protraction uh, doesn't it doesn't take that the all of the work uh, that apparent acquittal does on the front end, like where you have to like put the work in to get the judges to sign these papers or whatever. Um, rather, it's just bogging down the system, right? So that you never. It, it's kind of like people do in our legal system when, say, like there's somebody on death row. What you can do is you keep appealing, keep appealing, do whatever you can to slow the case down. People do this all the time with discovery, right? So like if you have to go to trial, one way to to extend it is to just give everything in discovery and make the other the other side sift through every single piece of information. It's all it's just working the system, knowing that yeah. you're still technically on trial, but it's never going anywhere. Corporations do this all the time yeah. when they get sued is they keep filing, you know, petitions and it is like it's working the system in a way that's not at all like based on your actual case right. or your, you know, you know, the evidence in your favor. It's just 
inner knowledge of the system. And what that does is just keep him away from the final verdict, yeah, right? It exactly. just postpones it. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, he says, all right, you don't have to give me an answer now about which one you want of the two. And he says, there's only a hair's difference between the advantages and disadvantages between these two right. apparent equivalent protraction. Um, and it's good that you don't want to decide now. I would say you should take some time. But if you don't come back, I'm going to go find you at your bank and get an answer. And it's like, why is he helping him? Like, what? Right. what it's so weird. It's very weird that he wants to help him, but it, and then gets almost to the point where he's going, he's threatening him. Yeah. You have to let me help you, even though the things I can do are uh, really there's it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like none of this none of this shit matters. Right. So what do you think these? I don't know. Do you have any kind of metaphoric or thematic ideas about apparent acquittal versus protraction? Is that if we're talking existentially, it feels like. I don't know. I, I was trying to think about this. Like, it does seem to me like protraction is living your life, putting off the difficult questions. Yeah. Right. Like never really tackling what you think, you know, like, I don't know, the important things. You're never, you're, it's living a life of inaction and passivity because right. it's easier. And not ever really figure out your purpose yeah. on earth if you have one or yeah. not trying to figure out yeah why you're here or whether you've lived a good life or something you're playing it out you know yeah. and you're being able to do that because you've developed skills that allow you maybe to distract yourself um from these deeper more unsettling questions yeah you've you figure you you're working the system in a certain way but yeah. at the cost of really grappling with the like deepest elements of who you are right. as a person. Whereas the apparent acquittal, you have to do you have to do some heavy work on the front end, which means confronting some of these things, confronting your demons or yeah. or, or these tough questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, protraction does feel like that sort of unreflected life of living for the weekend. You know, you, you do your nine to five job. You don't really care about it. You look forward to the party on the weekend or the, or maybe church on the weekend. And it's you take your kid to soccer practice. Yeah. You... It's the unreflected life that some people might find worth living because it's an easier thing to do than to have that anxiety, that existential anxiety. Yeah. Apparent acquittal then, if that's protraction, apparent acquittal might be somebody who does some work on themselves, some self-exploration, and is able temporarily to feel like their life has purpose or meaning, or maybe feel like they're a good person, morally speaking. Maybe they're able to also make it seem like that to others. You know, like, oh, he's a good father. He, he's good at his job. He seems to find fulfillment in it. He's to the world. You seem like you're somebody who's fulfilled and you've figured figured things out and you have a degree of self-knowledge that's, uh, you know, impressive. But at any point, those demons could just come back and all that just gets like it's it's gone. It just gets burned like uh, paper, you know, Yeah. and it's ashes. And so you're, you're like you've done the work to make yourself feel like you're a good person living a meaningful life and to, to the other people to think that. But there's something still lurking that it yeah. can all get unmasked at any point. Right. And the key the key, I think, is that in the term appearance. Yeah. Right, you've in in apparent acquittal in the book, you are justified only by consensus consensus of slightly more important people than you. So, like if you've managed to appear to the world as if you were just, then that might be enough. That's enough for you. But you're not really. 
Yeah. And then the actual acquittal is just, I don't know, like, like that would be finding out the answers to it's some like of a, these deep questions. or something. Enlightenment, right? it's, yeah. It's something that is conceivable, and yet very few people know anybody who's reached it, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. And I think this is, it's also like, I don't know, I think in both apparent acquittal and protraction, you would never find out what you were accused of. Whereas right. that's with right. actual acquittal, I think you would. That's but right. That's, Are you willing to sacrifice ever knowing what's going on just for the sake of leaving out like a yeah undisturbed, relatively undisturbed life? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, yeah, I love the painter scene. It might be my favorite mm-hmm. scene in the mm-hmm. whole text. Also with the girls and the um, yeah. it's it's and it's still very funny. You know. Yeah. And. I don't have an answer to why a painter, but I kind of like that the artist is the one who sort of peels back the veneer. You know, yeah. things things aren't what they seem. And exactly. so we don't even know to what extent what he's saying is true. No, I, no. I, do, there's do, no way to there's no way to confirm what anybody says. I mean, this is pretty obvious, but I don't know if we've said it explicitly. But the reader is very much in the same position as Joseph K, <laughs> yeah. struggling to figure out what it all means and, yeah. and what's going on. Right. And uh, like, that's a very effective technique. Is we are feeling it, and sometimes weary too. Yeah. Sometimes you're reading it because the way this edition goes, it's like one paragraph essentially, <laughs> and so you get a little glazed over in the way that Joseph K is right. glazed over. Right. So. Okay, so the next thing he does is he's now, after having visited the painter and gotten this information, he is really resolved to go dump his lawyer. So he goes to dump the lawyer. Uh, There is someone else at the lawyer's house, along with the nurse, Lenny, who he's had whatever sexual dalliance with. Um, Uh, Or not. Or not. Uh, There's this merchant, Block uh, is his name, who he comes to find out is also on trial. So uh, Joseph K., gets his will together, musters his will and tells the the lawyer, look, I don't want you to represent me anymore. I know what I need to do. And the lawyer says, all right, like, I see what you're saying, but, but like, wait, don't, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to allow you to dismiss me just yet. Hear me out. And among the things that he says, which again is not that informative. One of the things he says is you don't realize how good you're being treated by the system right now. Right. You think everybody who's accused is in your position? No, let me show you. And so then he just unleashes this abuse on this other guy, Block, who is also on trial and just demonstrates that without the connections that Joseph has, Joseph K has, things would be quite different. He would be basically the merchant for his trial that's been going on for five years has to base, show up to his lawyer's house at all times, whenever he's summoned, even when he's not. And meanwhile, so this is one of the things where his self-confidence briefly, uh, fleetingly comes back and he feels better than Bloxo in, in yeah. a way that I think, you know, in a lot of bureaucratic nightmares in society, the, the there is a person who makes it, you seem like, trust me, you're glad you're not one of these people, you <laughs> right, know, like, right. um, and you do feel, even though like, like you're not getting what you want, you yeah. do feel a little bit of like, yeah, well, like, I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad yeah. I'm not that person. Let me show you how bad it could go. Yeah. But this is another example where Lenny is making him jealous by paying a lot of attention yeah. to, to block. This and, is when the lawyer explains that it's just defendants are, are attractive. Like there's something about being accused that all of a sudden makes you attractive. And it's 
especially to Lenny. To Lenny, especially. Yeah, so yeah. it's not you. you. Even when good things happen to him, it's also not fair. It's just like a part yeah. of a tick of nature or part of the part of the system. Right. Through throughout this, there's like there is a passivity to even his actions. It's weird. It's hard to describe, but even when he is resolved to take action, it ends up in him being tossed around like leaves in wind, you know? He doesn't have, he can't pursue anything because yeah. they all lead into these, you know, dead ends anyway. And so at a certain point, he just starts to like abandon things yeah. before taking it to its just inevitably frustrating conclusion. Lack yeah. of. The, the lawyer treats Block like the gimp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he shows, unlike Block, he shows a little bit of pride yeah. and, and, and thinks that he's not going to debase himself in the way that Block does. But, And I think at this point, maybe whatever time goes by between the end of this scene, the chapter where he's dismissed his lawyer, and the next one, which is sort of getting us to the end, um, maybe he is, maybe he did just resolve himself to saying like, look, I have two options. One is to keep being at the mercy of all these fuckers and like trying to actively figure out what's going on in my trial, but not getting anywhere to just forget it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. Right. Like one must imagine Sisyphus happy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And, and I think it is block that shocks him into that. He, he says he was no longer a client. He was the lawyer's dog. If the lawyer had ordered him to crawl under the bed as into a kennel and bark, he would have done so gladly. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, he just makes this kind of quiet decision. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm out of it. And yeah, now we're nearing the end. So now we're a year, a year ish later. Right. Are we sure the 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 time difference between no, in the cathedral sure. and the end? So we're I don't know. Sure. I yeah. don't know where we are here. No. It switches gears, right? Yeah. Like all of a sudden, back at the bank, as if you know things were just copacetic. One day at work, uh, the president tells him, "Hey, we have an Italian businessman who's coming to visit, and I want you to show him around town." So he's like, "Fine." You know, like, uh, uh, I'll do it. He is still working on the trial, but half-heartedly. And he's like, ah, fuck it. I'll just show this guy around. He's like, what is he going to do? Right. So, so he goes, he actually prepares. He he starts like brushing up on his Italian. He goes to work really early, seven in the morning. And he almost immediately gets called over by the president with the Italian businessman right there. And he's like, show him go ahead and show him around it's very funny this scene well not funny it's actually not that funny but it's it has that nightmarish or anxiety dreamlike quality where he can't really understand the italian and the words and exactly um, and he can only get little pieces of it but the president can understand him even though and and now he knows that he's like has to show this person around that he can only understand like 10 percent of what he's saying yeah yeah but the one thing he really wants to see is this cathedral so he says all right i'll meet you at the cathedral uh, at 10 in the morning. This gives him time to go back to his office, brush up even more in his Italian because he has this anxiety that he can barely understand the guy, maybe get some key words about, about the art so that he can describe it to the Italian. He, so he goes, gets to the cathedral, goes inside uh, or waits outside. It's a rainy day all of a sudden. It's dark and gloomy day. And the Italian isn't there. And I can only assume that the stereotypes of Italian people are, were active back then, that like they're late. 
So <laughs> they're not so like they're going to and, and it seems like almost nobody is there. <laughs> almost and it's very there. dark. I picture it as kind of huge, this cathedral. Yeah. Like you can get lost in this cathedral. And it's also very poorly lit. Very poorly lit. Again, that dream, that, that captures my dreams as well. Like things are poorly lit and they're very distressing dreams. And all of a sudden the day is dark and rainy. Um, yeah. And he sort of starts exploring around. He finds these different pulpits, right? Yeah. And eventually a priest comes and he thinks he's going to be delivering a sermon. Yeah, he sees this little side pulpit. It's not the main pulpit, right? Yeah. And he he sees this priest finally emerge and he's like, well, that's weird. It's like 10 in the morning on a work day. Is this guy going to preach? Pouring rain. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is, is like, so he's like, all right, I guess he is going to preach. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to stick around. Like, but the Italian has, was a no show. So the yeah. Italian just never shows up. I think it's 11 o'clock by now. He, he's done his due diligence or like he's done his duty and waited. And he's like, if this guy's about to preach, I'm not, you know, I can't leave in the middle of his sermon. So let me creep out now. So yeah. as he starts uh, walking away, he just hears his name yelled out. Joseph K. Yeah, it's ominous. So the priest says he's a prison chaplain, right? Yeah. Again, the prison, the legal system is everywhere. Yeah. It is, there's no escape from it. So even in this cathedral, which really shouldn't have anything to do with, with the law, but even that is part of the prison system. And like, so I, at this point, I thought he was going to be delivering some sort of verdict yeah. or some sort of, um, but that's actually not what happens at, at all. You know, and he says... The judgment isn't simply delivered at some point. The proceedings gradually merge into the judgment. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. I had that highlighted too. What does that mean? Yeah, it's it, it. All I could think of, which is maybe simplistic, but that's life. Yeah, you know, the proceedings gradually <laughs> merge yeah. into the judgment. Yeah, he does say, at least for the moment, your guilt is assumed. Yeah, he says your, your trial is going badly. Did you know that? <laughs> Joseph K says, but I'm not guilty. It's a mistake. How can a person in general be guilty? Yeah, that's a this is such the key that's question exactly. of of this novel. I think. Yeah, how can a person in general be be guilty? We're all human, after all, each and every one of us. That's right. So the priest, but that's how guilty people always yeah. talk. Yep. But the priest isn't all bad, right? No, the priest seems to, in as much as anybody could be on his side, like the priest is now, seems to be the most plain spoken and the one who's going to to just tell him like it is in a way that he hasn't been told. The painter gave him what he knew, but it's not like he knew the specifics of Joseph Kay's case, but, but the priest seems to know exactly. Uh, and his judgments are fair. Like he says, you seek too much outside help, particularly yeah. from women. Yeah. Haven't you noticed that isn't true help? <laughs> I figure that's just Kafka going to a prostitute. You know, like. <laughs> that's right. He's finding, that's right. <laughs> but then Joseph K, like he does have an excuse. He's like, you know, women have great power and everybody here that works with the court seems to be skirt chasers. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. One of the things that he says, which sounds like a very, uh, I don't know, like a very human thing to say is, no, look, everybody is prejudiced against me. Like everybody who I've been dealing with is prejudiced against me. And that's something that is like, probably everybody has felt at some point in their life. But like, yeah. Really, it's more that nobody cares. <laughs> it's not the pressure's against you. It's that they're indifferent toward you. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by NordVPN. 
You know, as travel restrictions for COVID have eased, that means that we've been able to travel a bit more. In fact, part of this episode was coming to you from Costa Rica. Because of that, I've uh, become reacquainted with the fact that streaming services don't always work well in other countries. And it gave me a chance to fire up NordVPN once more and get that premium content that I'm used to getting. After all, I pay tons of money for lots of different premium services. Um, with NordVPN, you can access that content anywhere. You don't have to miss your favorite shows. You don't have to when you're in some uh, completely different country and they have completely different shows on Netflix. You don't have to feel confused and disappointed um, like I used to. You can change your virtual location with a click. In fact, on a new computer, I just reinstalled it. Super simple. The app downloaded quickly, installed in my little menu bar in my Mac. With one click, I'm able to pick from any of, an, of a number of countries. In fact, 5,400 servers across 60 different countries. You can even use it to find streaming platforms at a lower price if you log in um, from one of those locations. Finally, I've said this before, um, I tried VPN services years ago. Right, when they were first becoming available and I wanted to get my Netflix like when I was living in Canada. And they just didn't work well. They throttled you. They were slow. That just doesn't happen anymore, at least not with NordVPN. You get amazing speed thanks to their NordLynx system. There's no bandwidth throttling. You can stream securely. And again, you can be connected with just one click. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com VBW. Use the code VBW to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free, plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So that's nordvpn.com VBW with the offer code VBW. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee and a discount, and we'd very much appreciate it. Our thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. All right, we have two more things to talk about, the parable and then, I guess, yeah. the conclusion. But let's talk about the parable. Yeah, I, there, there's one quick thing I want to say. Like, the priest comes down from the pulpit to talk to him. Yeah. And one of the things that he says is, I had to speak to you first from a distance. Otherwise, I'm too easily influenced and forget my position. Made me think of, uh, of Paul's empathy stuff. Like, he knew that he had to deliver in an impartial way from above like the hard news, your shit's going badly. And then when he gets closer to Joseph K, he's like able to be more compassionate toward him. Right. So yeah, the, the parable, <laughs> do you want to summarize it? It's a story of a man who wants to be admitted to the law, capital L. The, there's a person at the door that says you can't be admitted to the law, which is, what does that even mean? The introductory texts to the law. You know, there's always this allusion to the, to there being a codified, written down capital L law that we have no access to. But then it's also personified or deified in some way because it says, like, before the law stands a doorkeeper. Like, what does that mean? You know? Yeah, the law is in this in this parable like a place that he can go to. He can see he has access to. A man from the country comes to this doorkeeper and 
requests admittance to the law, but the doorkeeper says he can't grant him admittance now. The man thinks it so it over and asks if he'll be allowed to enter later. It's possible, but not now. Since the gate to the law stands open as always and the doorkeeper steps aside, the man bends down to look through the gate into the interior. Doorkeeper says, you want to dash in there? Go ahead and try it. But I'm only the lowest doorkeeper. Like after me, these people, you don't even want to look at them. I get, I feel sick if I'm trying to look at them. So then the man just sits down and waits and waits and waits and the doorkeeper keeps telling him no and he finally dies yeah finally his eyes grow dim and he no longer knows whether it's really getting darker around him or if his eyes are merely deceiving him and he gets a glimpse of the radiance of the law through the door before he dies but yeah he lives out his life on that little bench as he is dying he doesn't have much longer to live before he dies everything he has experienced over the years coalesces in his mind into a single question he has never asked the doorkeeper he motions to him since he can no longer straighten his stiffening body the doorkeeper has to bend down to him for the difference in size between them has altered greatly to the man's disadvantage (laughs) what do you want to know now asked the doorkeeper you're insatiable Everyone strives to reach the law, says the man. How does it happen then that all these years no one but me has requested admittance? The doorkeeper sees that the man is nearing his end, and in order to reach his failing hearing, he roars at him. No one else could get admittance here because this entrance was meant solely for you. I am going to go shut it now. So this very puzzling ending that is, you know, so like is begging to be interpreted, right? Like, what does that mean that the entrance was only for him? Why does he stay there? Why does he never ask this question before? Kay immediately launches into interpretations. Yeah. And the priest tells him, like, this has been endlessly interpreted, this parable. And they go through all the different ways of who's deceiving who. Did he actually gain admittance or didn't he? Yeah. Did, uh, could he have gone in? Yeah. Did the door was the, the doorkeeper was doing his duty by not allowing him in. But, you know, on the other hand, the doorkeeper as a faithful servant of the law actually had his back turned to the door the whole time. So he couldn't even get a glimpse that the, that the man did of the sort of brilliance of the law. Um, and, uh, there is here in this discussion of the, you know, he's basically saying like there's volumes written on this parable. Um, and uh, the priest says, the commentators tell us the correct understanding of a matter and misunderstanding the matter are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I have like a big old asterisk next to that in my, in my reading, because it just seems like something that's being told to us about this whole thing it's it's such an interesting meta um textual element right k says you know like i don't think he fulfilled his duty he he shouldn't uh, he should he should have admitted the person and the priest says you don't have sufficient respect for the text and are changing the story the story contains two important statements so it's like you it's almost just this lesson in how you are supposed to interpret a text and i it's impossible to think like this is also a lesson is how to interpret kafka's text and one of the things you have to do is have respect for it and not mold it into something that you want it to be for your own purposes but that it isn't right on the other hand 
maybe your interpretation is good. Fine. It's just as it's even right. the incorrect interpretation. And again, we're in that fine. same position as Joseph K. We we don't know and we'll never and know. And we'll never know. As the priest is telling him all these interpretations, it seems like literally every element of it has multiple ways of understanding it, right? You know, in the context of what you just read that understanding and misunderstanding are kind of the same thing when it comes to uh, interpreting the text. It's like, as long as you respect the text, it seems like there's just multiple understandings. You don't need to settle on on one. It, it's, it's fruit. The text itself will be fruit for... Podcasts. Yes, multiple different interpretations, and which is why these things last as long as they do. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I, I feel like we've made this claim or point so many times on this podcast, which is like, you know, I used to think that was a cheat when I was when I was young and I think more literal minded. I used to think kind of like that Dawkins uh, tweet about metamorphosis. Like, what is this? Like, you know, that there ought to be one singular interpretation um, or that it's unsatisfying if there is no true interpretation. And I, you know, I think that just with at least, I want to say maturity, but at least in the way that my mind has developed, it is more satisfying when there are truths that have bearing on multiple aspects of life that can be communicated artistically this way. Yeah. It almost is, it feels like I agree, like I've moved in this direction along with you um, way more than I was probably even when we started doing the podcast, but um, it almost seems like definitional to art now that there is <laughs> yeah, a kind right. of openness to yeah. it. Um, and that's part of what what makes it art. We should talk about maybe some of the details here because it is also about deception. But then there's this other element, that kind of Euthyphro dilemma, divine command theory uh, issue where he says, uh, the priest says, namely that those who say that the story gives no one the right to pass judgment on the doorkeeper, no matter how he appears to us, he is still a servant of the law. He belongs to the law and thus is beyond human judgment. The man has, uh, he has been appointed to the post by the law to doubt his dignity is to doubt the law itself. And Kay says, I don't agree with that opinion. Um, for if you accept it, you have to consider everything the doorkeeper says as true. But you've proven conclusively that that's not possible. No, said the priest, you don't have to consider everything true. You just have to consider it necessary. And that also just vibrates with like theological, existential, just doubts and questions that have the answer you don't know and you can't know. And it's some, it's in some sense like impossible for you to know yeah there hints to me of like abraham um and isaac and abraham being told by god to sacrifice isaac which actually i thought it was the final the end is evocative a bit of that yeah where uh where the question has always been you know much ink has been spilled about whether if Abraham did in fact kill Isaac, would he be doing the right thing just because God said so? You know, there's an idea, I don't know if it's in Judaism at all, and I wish I had a real Jew to tell me, um, but there's an idea in Christianity that the law, here referring to the Ten Commandments and, and everything else in the Bible, that the law is an expression of God's character. Yeah. That that is, uh, our understanding of God's character really is through the law. Yeah, and that's so, a very also Jewish okay, yeah, idea. I, I assume we had stolen it. There is also 
the idea that God is fundamentally unknowable, right? And so there is a tension there because the law is written out in real detail, right? <laughs> there are real, real specifics to the law. And if it's supposed to be a reflection of God's character, but yet God is sort of unknowable in the deepest, truest sense, the law is merely a, uh, a surface understanding of God's character. And any glimpse at the true, true meaning might evade us as humans. But I also liked what you were saying that the law just is God. You, they're yeah. inseparable. Yeah. So not necessarily a glimpse into right. it. It just, that is God. In the same way the legal system is just in the walls in the text, the proceedings of it are just baked into everyday life. Um, residential, professional, everything, sexual. I like that idea. I feel like that's how, that's something that is being explored here. So shall we get to the end? Yeah. You... I mean, so the, the thing that Joseph K responds to that is a depressing opinion, said K, lies are made into a universal system. Yeah. That it this is all a lie. Like all these laws, they're there. You can interpret them in all sorts of different ways, but ultimately it's not consistent. We can't make sense of it. And that's just baked into reality. And I love after he says that, he says, K said that with finality, but it was not his final judgment. He was too tired yeah. to take in all of the consequences of the story. It led him to unaccustomed areas of thought toward abstract notions more suited for discussion by the officials of the court than by him. It's like an individual grappling with something of that magnitude and depth is too much. It's too much to bear. He can't bear it. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, it is the end of him. Like, you know, this is where he's he's going to leave. He gets to leave the cathedral. Yeah. Which I didn't remember that. He even thinks, oh, so you're going to like take me away? It's like, no, you can leave. Yeah. The court wants nothing for you. It right. receives you when you come and dismisses you when you go. So, so then exactly a year later. Exactly a year later, two gentlemen enter Kay's lodgings uh, dressed in black. And Kay himself was getting ready to go out as if he knew yeah. that something was going to happen. He just didn't know what. He was preparing himself for an evening out. Uh, and when they walk in, he's like, ah, okay. okay. So you guys are... You guys yeah. are here for me. And he's given up at yeah. this point. I think he gave up at the end of the yeah. cathedral scene. And now he's completely given up. And he still will say, oh, they've sent supporting actors. Yeah, me. it's like he's, it's like. He's bit players. You can't, he can't just, I don't know if it's a defense or what, that he can't just be like, okay, they've sent people to kill me. Yeah, he has to at least put up a little fight, even if it's only a flicker, even yeah. if it's just. And he fights it at first, but then out of some sense of dignity, um, as they're carrying him away, he says, "You know what? I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm not gonna fight this. I'm not gonna like. I'm gonna keep some dignity here." They hold him in a way where, like, <laughs> the imagery is of like uh, marionette almost, like with yeah. each man holding one side of him and walking along. And the way that he doesn't fight is that he just goes in stride with them. So it's like three people walking together to a stone quarry. It's lays beside a building, which is quite urban. So it's like yeah. you're never fully leaving this. Even though right. I thought like that they were going into the woods somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, this is very nightmares. Maybe the most horrifying of them kind of handing the butcher's knife yeah. to each other. Very uh, genteel, in a kind of genteel way. To and, inspect it and yeah. seeing the sharpness of it in the moonlight. You know, like the, the blade glinting in the moonlight. He, he almost takes the knife and plunges it into himself. He feels like that's his duty now. Yeah. That's how he's been reduced to is he feels like he's supposed to 
relieve them of their work, yeah. um, but he doesn't do it. They they prop him against throat. the toe. They prop him against a stone, and yeah. they're trying to get him in a good position. Um, like they seem to put some work into making him comfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but finally, the the final position that they put him in wasn't even the most comfortable one of them, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, they they uh, stab him in the heart, right? Yeah. They, it seems like they're going to cut his throat, but they don't. Yeah. They stab him in the heart. And with failing sight, Kay saw how the men drew his, near his face, leaning cheek to cheek to observe the verdict. Like a dog, he said. As It seemed as though the shame was to outlive him. Right. Sorry, right before that, um, he saw in the building adjoining the quarry, he saw a light on and there was a figure. Uh, faint and insubstantial at that distance and height. Who was it? A friend? A good person? Someone who cared? Someone who wanted to help? Was it just one person? Was it everyone? Was there still help? Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's thrust in his heart like a dog. And the shame is going to outlive him. So it's Which, a really tragic ending yeah. in so many ways. It's like, it's not just that he was unjustly accused, but that, didn't, or not unmasked, but just, yeah, bare like laid bare. Laid of. bare, yeah. yeah. And 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 to the point where he has lost all hope and es- essentially consents to his own uh murder or Right. And you get the killing. feeling that that's been for the last year he probably stopped working on the trial knowing that there would be no no actual acquittal, no protraction. He wasn't putting in the work for that. So yeah. it was going to happen. He was right. ready for it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the only way to 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 ward this office to do one of those two things and he you know there's no he thought there's no point to it so if you really think of it like in the sort of existentialist or absurdist tradition not the kind of upbeat version of the you know sisyphus being happy kind of conquering the rest of the of the universe by acknowledging it but still you know performing his tasks with full knowledge that they have no ultimate purpose. Like K just like he, you know, he dies shamefully Yeah, and there, he never gets any questions answered, but also never rises above and treats the universe scornfully. Right. He's defeated. He's just utterly defeated. He's defeated. And I can't help but read this as, as metaphor for life. Everyone meets that end. Yeah. Right. We all are going to meet that end. And Kay just wasn't willing to shadow box with God, you know, or whatever. Like he was like, this is, this is not going to get me anywhere. So, so fuck your unfairness. Like life is unfair. It's unjust. There is no, there's no right or wrong to this shit when it comes to like his guilt or, or innocence. He wasn't willing anymore to put up appearances. So yeah. it's like the, he wasn't willing to go for the apparent acquittal, right? Yeah. He was just, if this, if it's all meaningless and bleak and unfair, if yeah. that's what life is ultimately, yeah. uh, it's senseless. It, it's open to multiple interpretations because it doesn't make any sense. And it's also utterly unfair and people are suffering when they shouldn't or not, or, or not suffering when they should, then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, keep pretending anymore yeah and the the people in the in the world of joseph k who are actively involved in the court have some maybe some control some meaning that they have from being the agents of this but i think it becomes increasingly clear that even they don't really know what they're doing and 
he's not even willing to play the game anymore the way that they are. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I almost the other people in it, they they feel so much like Cave's projections. Yeah, they don't seem like they have an inner life of their own. Yeah, um, in a way that I almost think like it's hard to know what in if there is a reality, if there is a true reality in the trial, like what the other people besides K are are like, because it's completely impossible that everyone else seems to know. As I think you said in the first episode on this, like. How did Kay get to be 30 years old and <laughs> yeah. not know that this shit happens? Yeah. Given that everybody else seems to know, or at least a lot of just random people seems to know, and the fact that they're in the walls, they're in the attics, they're everywhere. You know, um, I once took an adolescent development class in college where uh, one of the cool things we did, it was an awesome professor. One of the, one of the cool things was that he showed us films, uh, coming of age films. And he pointed out that in, in most coming of age films, there is a scene that he called the scene of mandatory disillusionment. Yeah. When you realize that, you know what? Adults aren't all yeah. that. Like some of them are terrible. And like the things that they were saying weren't necessarily true or right. And the things that you thought were important aren't, aren't that important. And so, so the, the dawn of his 30th birthday, realizing that the world is full of machinations that, he had no idea we're there seems like just something that we gradually realize um, yeah. over time that, that the systems that are in place not only are unfair, but like it's unclear where they come from and how deep they go. Yeah. And, and in that parable, you know, when the, the doorkeeper says, look, if you think you get past me, there's at least two other doorkeepers that you'd have to get past. And I'm afraid of even looking at the third one. But even multiple, I get the sense that like, multiple. he's only seen like the third, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's impenetrable. Yeah. It's like the, is the thing you start to realize. Yeah. You know, just, we're talking about panpsychism, you know, and consciousness. And, you know, maybe that's one of these things that we'll just never <laughs> understand. And we can fight it and we can come up with, you know, zombie experiments and we can run MRIs or whatever. But that's just... That's a parent acquittal <laughs> or, or protraction, you know, you're right. playing out the string. Uh, yeah. Um, I do think there is something deeply epistemological about this, too. It's like he never finds out what he's accused of. He never finds out how the system works. He gets no answers for anything, which is, you know, how most people are, are when they die. Well, and the, uh, yeah. And the more he tries, notably, the less he knows. Yeah. Right. So it's like, why even try at that point? Right. There's. there's there's no point at which you feel like he's made progress in understand toward understanding no. these there's, things. There's the illusion of it sometimes, like, you know, a little bit of upbeatness maybe when the painter is there. Um, <laughs> Titorelli. But, yeah. Titorelli. <laughs> I also love that, you know, maybe one of the reasons he's been so blind to all of this is that he's professionally successful, it yeah. seems like. And he has possibly Elsa, his girlfriend. <laughs> and he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. And then, so sometimes it takes like a shock like that. Maybe yeah. a parent dying all of a sudden out of the blue or, or your, you know, brother, your younger brother or something like that yeah. where all of a sudden you start to realize holy, holy shit like this life is full of suffering and injustice yeah you're right i like that i like that the the you know he was an ambitious man he he had at the age of 30 reached a position of worldly success that most people don't reach and so he was kind of feeling himself like riding high and then you know one day his life changed <laughs> 
the hubris that he takes to those opening scenes, I think, re <laughs> yeah. reflects that. And it's so funny the way how just impotent it is from the start. Yeah. How transparently, like, uh, not powerful or, you know, uh, effective it is. If there's any sort of positive message that I can find here is that, yeah, that arrogance with which he approaches the unfairness of life um, from the beginning compared to in the end where he's literally become a, Muppet, a puppet yeah. for the other men walking, realizing that if he doesn't resist, it'll go better for everyone. Yeah. There is some wisdom to knowing when to resign and knowing that you can't control things. And I still think that it's a dark and depressing end to it, but there is some, there is a truth to, you know, be sometimes just become like water, you know, let it, let yourself yeah. be carried. Yeah. I mean, that is the Buddhist idea and you lose your attachments. You try to shed attachments to what you think the world ought to be and just accept the world as it is. And give up. He gave up Elsa. He gave up the, his duties at the bank. And yeah. He's just, yeah. A lot of the, the comedy of it comes from the mismatch between his pretensions. Like, yeah. I'm going to give this speech and I'm going to rile all these people up and, you know, start a, a, a general revolt against the law. And then the actual reality, which is he has no idea what he's talking about and the people aren't really uh, reacting to him in the same way that. that in the way that he thinks and and that's where a lot of the comedy is is that mismatch but then the tragedy is in it's matching now it's the <laughs> right. acceptance right. you know like he's figured it out there's no answers there's no control and there's no justice so just let yourself be killed like a dog and have the shame outlive you <laughs> i think there is no better way to end this <laughs> than that well, we've solved the trial. You don't need to read <laughs> Yet it. Yet again, you know, we're just going through and solving things. Yeah. Um, it's not a great mystery to us. Yeah. Uh, it's the two guys that, that killed him. <laughs> 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 All right. Join us next time on Very Bad